Matthew chapter number 5. <clears throat> You'll begin reading verse number 1. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when he was said, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus, about, he knows he's getting ready to preach the greatest message that was ever recorded. Not saying he didn't preach a better one, I'm just saying it wasn't recorded. Greatest message ever penned down in human history, and he opens it up with this one verse. Granted, there's a multitude there that day. There are people, it says, verse number one, seeing the multitudes. In other accounts, you're going to find that he saw them as sheep having no shepherd, that he took pity on them. But he saw a group of people that were craving and hungering after truth and he knew that if they were to return to the synagogue that all they'd find there is legalism and Pharisees that were trying to keep them in bondage. He saw a group of people that knew that they were enslaved but didn't know how to get free. He saw a group of people that were hungry and had no food to eat. They saw a group of people that had hope in their eyes that he was who he said he was. That he was the promised one. That he was going to be able to do for them what they could not do for themselves. And so he goes up into a mountain. And when everybody's set and ready, says that he began to teach them. And the first thing that he goes to teach them. Now I don't know about you guys, but in all of my public speaking training, you always lead with the point that you want to be most impactful. Right? It's the first thing that somebody's going to hear. Right? The introduction is to get their attention. But after the introduction, you lead with the most important point. Right? You don't save the best for last. People got attention spans like goldfish. We want to make an impact. Right? You get off on the right foot. Well, he chose to lead with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in your Bible, after that word spirit, that's lowercase spirit, that's just colon. That means that the first part is stand alone. You could take that just as true. The second part of that sentence is providing more clarity to the first part of that sentence. Okay, that's what a colon means. Right? See the following colon and then you get a list what's that saying defining following right anybody ever say hey if you could do these things that would be great colon then they list them off those are these things it's providing more clarity to you about what was just said okay so in truth the point he's making is blessed are the poor in spirit well in order to understand that you got to know what that word poor means so I did a little bit of digging so y'all wouldn't have to Poor in spirit, in a scriptural sense, means humble, contrite, abased in one's own sight by a sense of guilt or a sense of feebleness. To be poor in spirit, to be humble, means to know who you are and what you are not. Now, part of humility is also knowing your strengths. 
Right? A lot of people think that if you're humble, it means just people just walk all over you. No, humble means to understand who you are. It means to have a realistic view of what you are and what you are not. Why do you think that the Bible says that looking into his scriptures, beholding himself as in a glass? The Bible doesn't pull any punches. It'll tell you where you're in line with God and where you're out of line with God. In order to be humble, you must know what you are not, but you also must know what you are. Okay, you must understand that if you're saved, you're a child of the king. You are a king and a priest. You are seated in heavenly places today. Your conversation's recorded there. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the off-scour of the world. He sees the chosen ones, right? The elect, as the Bible would say. That because they put their faith in God, he's chosen to make you a joint heir with the Son. Right? You are not the lowest of the low. That you're something special. And the Bible says that he gives unto everyone spiritual gifts. Different gifts, depending on what it is that he desires for you to do for him. But you've all got something that only you can do for God. That's how much and how highly he thinks of you. Right now, I'm not trying to blow sunshine up y'all's rear ends. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you are ambassadors of Christ. The Bible says that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. When that blood was applied to your life, you became royalty. Because royal blood was applied to you. Now I know down here we can't see that yet. That's part of that by faith. We believe that he will do and has done what he said he would do and will do. He gave us the earnest of the spirit. So that his spirit can bear witness that you, with your spirit that you are the sons of God. That's all Bible. But at the same time, as much as you are that. We also know that the Bible says that all of our righteousness is filthy rags. The arm of flesh is going to fail you. I don't need to get up here today and to preach to us about how low down and wicked and carnal we all are because we got to deal with ourselves every day. We know that. Right? If you're trying to live for God, that's the part of you that you hate the most. But see, there's a balance between the two when it comes to humility. You cannot solely go around beating yourself on the chest saying I'm a child of the king and expect everything to go okay because you're going to get too big for your britches. And on the other side, you can't go around saying, well, this dirty old flesh, it keeps me from being what I ought to be. Then you're going to be living down in the dumps all the time. Humility is living in the between, the balance. Knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, having faith that God will support you in your weakness because his strength is made perfect in weakness, and that through Christ you can overcome. Because again, the Bible does say that you are more than a conqueror in him. So what's it mean to be poor? Well, we said, poor means to be humble. It also means to be abased in one's own sight by a sense of guilt or feebleness. I can walk around today I have the power to do that over my members, but I know that the only reason I have that power is because God has allowed it to be so. The place where many Christians, I'm talking about blood-bought, born again, I've seen it my entire life, people that want to go do something for God and they launch out in and of themselves. They want to do it through the energy of the flesh. They don't want to wait on God's timing. 
They have the ability to go out and do it, but it doesn't mean that they've got a license to do it. Go back and find that message that our pastor preached many years ago now called Liberty Without a License. You are a free moral agent. You can choose to worship God or choose not to worship God. You can choose to live as thus saith the Lord or choose not to live according to how God says you ought to live. If the pastor asks for a testimony, you can raise your hand and give a testimony, but that's the liberty part of it. You're free to do what you want. The license is, is when God says it's time for you to do those things. Waiting on His authority. You can go out and plant a flower in the middle of the winter, but it ain't going to grow. You can go put all the seeds you want to underneath all that snow, nothing's going to happen. But it's not the right timing. You had the liberty to go do it, but you didn't have a license to do it. You can drive a car all you want to, but if you don't have a license to do it, it's going to get you in trouble. Right? You can go buy a car. You can go have it insured. You can do everything else right, but if you let your license expire, you're not certified to drive that thing no more. But he's saying, Brother Jordan, God's all about timing, sensitivity, discernment. You know that you can, but you also know that you can't do it on your own. To be poor in spirit is to understand, Lord, I am capable of many things, but only you know what I need to do when I need to do it. Without his guidance, we're all without hope. It's one of the, Jesus said, I must go, that the comforter may come. You do know that Jesus, when he was robed in flesh, was constrained by the laws that God had spun into orbit. He couldn't be many places at once. He was fashioned like a man. You can only be one place at one time. If Christ were still on the earth today, he could only be in one place at one time. But because the Comforter, the Holy Spirit has come, he said that he would lead and guide you into all truth. If you're poor in spirit, you've got the best guide that there is. He'll lead and guide you into all truth. It's, the word is spiritually discerned. But you've got the best tour guide that there is. The problem is, is that so many Christians are not poor enough in spirit to listen. Now see, when I think of that word poor in a biblical context, a lot of times I think of David. Many psalms David wrote, he would say, I am poor and needy. The two went hand in hand, poor and needy. So, I'm going to give you an example of that. Psalms 86.1 Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. In another passage, he says, I know that you will hear me. Why? Because I am poor and needy. But what's that word needy mean? It doesn't mean poor, but it means something similar to it. It says, needy is defined as distressed by want. Distressed because you want for something. Poor is understanding that you don't have it. You know that in the spirit, right? You can't spiritually sustain yourself. You need God. Well, the world today knows they need something. That doesn't make you any better in the world. The only difference is, is you know where the fountain is to go and get a drink of that living water. Amen. To know that you have a need is not enough. 
Okay, it also means abased. Well, what's abased mean? That's another word by humble, poor. Now we're back into poor. So what's poor and needy mean? To understand that you are spiritually poor means you're dependent upon God. But to become needy means that you are distressed by that need. It affects you. You're so concerned about being what God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do. You're so concerned that God direct you, and you're so concerned about being on the same page with God that it distresses you. To say that word distress does not mean that you're out there and you're on anxiety medicine. Okay, I'm not saying that distress is going to cause you to have panic attacks. Distressed means that you know you're incapable of doing it, but that it still needs to be done. You ever been in that situation before? You ever had a bill that needed to be paid and you know that on paper the money ain't coming in? That's a distressed feeling. Have you ever had someone that you care about have a spiritual need that you know you can't meet and they need to hear from heaven? That's distressed. Distressed, if we were to define it out biblically, means you're so concerned about it, it becomes a burden. It doesn't make you uneasy. It doesn't shake your faith. You're not anxious. You're not nervous about it. You are distressed. Lord, I know that something needs to be done, so I'm going to get a hold of heaven until I know that it's been taken care of. That's called a burden. So to be poor in spirit truly means to get a burden for God to touch your life. Not talking about a burden for God to meet your needs. He promised to do that. You don't have to be distressed about that. God promised to meet your needs. Right? And without faith, it's impossible to please him. If you don't believe he's going to meet your needs, that's a different story. But he promised to take care of your needs. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're not talking about body. We're not talking about bank account. We're talking about inwardly. In that secret place between you and God where only the two of you can walk. If we get poor spiritually, he promises after that colon, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, I find that Jesus in a parable said that the kingdom of heaven is like unto a master has a bunch of silver coins. And he gives them to his servants. One he gave five, one he gave three, another one he gave one. Master goes away and says, when I come back, I want a return on my investment. We know the story. One went out, doubled his. Second one went out, doubled his. Last one went out, buried it in the sand and came back and gave the master exactly what he left him with. His excuse and his reasoning was that he knew that his Lord was a mighty man and a, fear, a man to be feared. That if he'd have gone out and lost it, if he would have invested it and blown it, his master would have been very upset with him. So he'd rather do nothing and give the master back what he invested into that servant rather than run the risk of losing it all. called him a wicked man 
said if you were just going to do nothing with it, you could have gone down to the bank, let them loan it to somebody else, and then he had at least gotten his plus the usury on top of it. He said, you didn't do it because you were fearful of me or because you were trying to protect me. He said, you could have gone, give it down to them guys, the money changers, and I'd come back and at least got interest on it. He says, it still would have been sitting there doing nothing, but I'd have had interest. He says, you, the reason that he was wicked is because he was lazy. He didn't want to do anything. He thought, well, as long as I give him back what he gave me, that'll be enough in the end. Now keep in mind, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto that. If you understand that you can't do anything on your own, those fellas didn't know how to make money on their own. That's why they were servants to a master. But their master had taught them some things, instilled some principles in them. The first two got it, they both went out and doubled what they'd gotten. How'd they learn to do that? From the master. What'd they do? They went out and did what the master told them to do until the master came back. Because he said, until I return, you know, go out and I'll be back one day. They didn't know how long he was going to be gone. They just know they had to go out and make money. Why? Because that's what the master told them to do. But the third one said, I don't want to go out and make money. I want to live at the master's house. I want to enjoy all the benefits of being a servant of the master. Obviously, he was entrusted with a certain level of respect around the house because when the master was leaving, he gave some money to that fellow. Right? You don't give money to people you don't trust. So what's he doing? He's living the high life until the master comes back and then he's got nothing to show for it. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs will be the kingdom of heaven, is the kingdom of heaven. Those three servants... They didn't get found on the side of the road in a ditch that day and the master said, here's some money, go out and invest it. That's a dumb investment. You don't give people the money, you don't give money to people you don't know. You don't just go find people and say, hey, here's a whole lot of money. But I believe it said he gave them talents. Go study it out. A talent wasn't a coin. Talent was like a weight of a precious metal. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I mean... If I do remember, it's a couple hundred pounds. Can you imagine if he gave him a couple hundred pounds of silver? That's not a cheap thing. What are you saying, Brother Jordan? He invested a lot in each of them. Well, you say, well, the first one, he got more. He didn't get to keep it. It wasn't his. When the master came back, he still had to get it. Here, master, here's what I did with it. Everything belonged to the master. They were just entrusted with it. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. While they're out working for the master, guess whose food they get to eat? The master's. Guess where they get to live? At the master's house. Guess who they get to have fellowship with? The brethren at the master's house. Well, you saying, Brother Jordan, that's what Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like. So when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus saying? Once you believe on Christ, 
you've got access to the kingdom of heaven here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you know why you got saved? Because you was real poor in spirit that day. Holy Ghost had convinced you that you had a need. And in fact, you got so concerned about that need that you started getting needy. What does that mean? You were distressed by want. You wanted a Savior and you knew that you couldn't be it. You got broken wanting to find the answer to your problem. Well, the day that you came poor and needy to an altar and asked Jesus to save you, yours was the kingdom of heaven from that day forward. Is the kingdom of heaven. Where do you get to live in a house that the master provided? Where do you get to eat food that the master provided? Where do you get to worship in the master's house with the brethren? Yeah, you've got to go out and take care of business in the world. So did those servants. But where'd you get to come back to every night, the masters? Guess who you've got indwelling you, the master, through the Holy Spirit? Those fellows didn't get to see the master. But they still had everything that the master had taught them. Still had everything that the master had instructed them in, corrected them in, reproved them in. What are you saying? They had a copy of what the master thought on some things. And though their master went away, I've got him indwelling me. Every step I take, I'm with the master. I know that one day the master's coming back. And what's he expect? A return on his investment. You think that those first two servants went out and made a whole lot of money because they thought they figured it all out? No, they understood that the reason that they were servants to another is because at one point they had made some mistakes. Maybe at one point one of them got into so much debt that they were bought by the master. That relate to anybody? You had a sin debt you couldn't pay until what? Jesus paid it off for you. Maybe some of them realized that on their own, all they had ever done was take gain and turn it into nothing. They had, but they couldn't hold on to it. Seemed to just slip through their fingers. Nothing satisfied them. They couldn't get to a point in their life where they were happy and content. They always felt like they were out begging for bread until what? One day they found a crumb off the master's table. Somebody else may have said, hey, if you're begging for bread, I know where you can go to get a taste. And what did they find? The bread from the master's table can satisfy. In fact, it can, it can breathe life into your bones. It can take you when you were on the way, feel like you was on the way out and make you feel like you've been in the whole time. Sound familiar to anybody? Maybe those servants... For all intents and purposes, they were okay in life. Good person. Good family. Raised well. They behaved themselves. They was polite. They didn't act like heathens. But one day, they just got a view of the king. And they realized, I didn't realize how low I was until I saw someone that was really high and mighty. That's what the, king, the queen of Sheba said when she saw Solomon entering into the into Solomon's temple 
She was looking for what made Solomon great. It wasn't his wisdom, it wasn't his wealth, it wasn't his clothing, it wasn't his servants. Although she knew that he was a good master because all of his servants loved him. She said, what, what makes this guy tick? And then she saw him walking into the house of God and said, that's why Solomon's mighty. Because he loves and reveres God. She saw what made a good ruler that day. And it wasn't a man. It was the one that uh, anointed the king. It was the one that gave power and wisdom and wealth and riches to the king. Y'all ever think that you were something until you bumped into somebody that was? You ever gotten a good view of Jesus and then realize how low you really were? What do you do in that situation? Take me with you. I want to go where you're going. I thought that I was all right. I thought that I was doing my best. But now I realize it don't compare to what's going on with you. Isn't that what the madman of Gadara did? He besought the Lord to go with him, and he said, no, you got to stay. Go tell everybody what I did. Go tell everybody what you used to be and how I changed you. What happened? The Lord turned him into something different. What did he do? He put an investment in him. Then what happens? Jesus came back by that way, and everybody that originally drove him off because they thought he was a sorcerer or he was a devil or whatever it was, they came back wanting to receive what it was that Jesus had for them. That's the kingdom of heaven. If you claim your citizenship as a member of the kingdom of heaven, guess what that entitles you to? Fellowship. Friendship. Because those are two different things. You can have fellowship with somebody and not be a friend with, to them. But you can be the very friend of God. You can fellowship with God. But in order to obtain that, you do realize that's why God did save you. Because he desired to have fellowship with his creation because of the creation's choice. He promised to do everything else because he loved you. But that's the end goal of your salvation. You're going to be with him forevermore all of eternity in heaven. That, that's the end product. So often we're worried about doing this, doing that. If you have a burden, you get needy and realize what I need is fellowship from God. I want friendship from God. I want to follow God because I want to be where he's at. I don't want any separation between us. You get a burden for those things, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And it's not because you kept all of the commandments. It's not because you did what the preacher told you to do. It's because God chose to give you the opportunity and you by faith embraced it. I can't preach good enough to have fellowship with God. You know what I got to do? I got to ask the Lord for fellowship and then I've got to be diligent enough to make time to do it. I can't pray hard enough for fellowship just because the master wants to walk by my way. I can do something about fellowship. Here's a real good, real good tip for you. If you want to have fellowship with God, get close to him. How do you do that? Follow wherever he goes. Where do you find the disciples are? Unless he told them to go somewhere else, they're with him. It's a good way to have fellowship. 
But if you want friendship, in order to be friends, you got to get to know somebody. He already knows you. He knows all the intents and thoughts of your heart. He knows the number of hairs that's on top of your head. He knows the number of days that God put over top of your head. How long are you going to live in this world? He's seen the beginning from the end. He knew you when he formed you in the belly. How much you know about him? In order to have friendship, you've got to get to know what he likes and what he doesn't like. You've got to get to know the things that he prefers and the things that he dislikes. You've got to find the things that he finds pleasing and those things that he finds off-putting. If for some odd reason I knew you didn't like the color green. Sorry, Naren. I just picked a color before I turned my head this way. Okay. But if I found out you didn't like the color green, one, why are you going to church here? Walls are painted green. Carpet's green. Anyway. But if you invited me over to your house, I'm not going to wear green. Is it because I don't like green? No. Is it because it's St. Patrick's Day and I want to wear green? No. Why won't I wear green? Because I don't want to offend you. I don't want to be off-putting towards you. That's why generally as a society, some people haven't gotten this note, but it's why we take showers and use deodorant and wear cologne. Because we don't want to be off-putting to other people. See, in order to be a friend, you've got to start doing them things. You don't do them things just for no reason. You do those things because you care about what somebody else wants. You know when that'll happen? When you get poor and you get distressed by the lack of God in your life. When you get a burden for I need more of God in my life. That's when those things will start being put into motion. There's a lot of people that know that they need more God in their life. They just think they got enough of God for right now. That's not true. You know how much God Enoch wanted in his life? He wanted so much God in his life that he walked with God so close that one day God just took him. They're saying nobody in here has ever walked that close with him. They're saying nobody alive today has walked that close with him for any extended period of time. Why? Because I find that people that walk that close to Jesus turn the world upside down in the book of Acts. In fact, that's what the court said. Are these not the ones that turn the world upside down? They made an impact on the world. I don't see much of an impact nowadays. Now see, I know what they were. They're the same thing that I am. Animated clay, dust, that God breathed air into. They weren't much on their own either. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that he was the chiefest of sinners. He wrote, O wretched man that I am, that he had to forget the past. Putting that behind, he pressed toward the mark of the high calling of Christ. He was humble enough to know who he was and what he was capable of. But he also was humble enough and got a burden. He was distressed about the fact that without God, he might turn back into that fellow. So what did he do? He just got as much of God as he could in his life. Find the Apostle John exiled to the Isle of Patmos. For all that we know, that was a prison colony. They're trying to work him to death. And yet it's Sunday, and what do you find him? In the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Just worshiping and having himself a time. They thought if they got rid of John that they'd defeat John. They didn't realize John took everything that he needed with him. It was called Jesus. 
In fact, an island that was known for killing other people, he survived it and came back. You think he did that on his own? No, he did that by the grace and the power of God. You think they were feeding them four-course meals on that aisle? No, they were feeding them stuff that they knew wasn't enough to sustain a man. But yet I find that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they ate basically, for lack of a better term, uh, beet stew for about a month. And yet they came out looking better than the other fellows. Why? Because they knew that God didn't approve of the other food that them guys were eating. They said, you give us just... Give us the scraps and just see if we don't come out looking better than the other guys. Why was that important? He was going to put them before the king. He wanted them to look like they was well fed, like they was well dressed, like they were educated men, which is why they would have been brought to the king in the first place. They said, we just believe that God will make us what we need to be as long as we do right by him. You want to talk about distressed Daniel needed an answer from heaven. What did he do? He prayed and he fasted until he got a hold of God. 21 days, no answer. Where do you find him? Still praying. Why? Because he had faith. He knew that he couldn't come out of that room with an answer on his own. He had to wait on the answer from God. Didn't matter how many people were pounding at the door. Didn't matter how much his body was crying to maybe go get some food. Didn't matter how much in his heart he felt distressed, defeated. He literally was so weak that without an answer from God, I believe that he'd have died. But what happened? God answered. Why? Because he made himself needy. You know why Daniel walked out of that lion's den? Because long before he went into that lion's den, he got needy before God. And you know what I find? God's near those of a contrite spirit. He resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I find that if you get poor and needy, God does for you above what he's promised to do. Why? Because it all comes down to that thing that we've been talking a lot about lately called faith. You get poor and needy, all you've got is faith in God. If all you've got is faith and you use it, stand back and watch what God's going to do. He said if you had faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it'd be done. You know what that tells me? A lot of us got a whole lot. You ever seen a mustard seed? Single grain of a mustard seed? Sucker so small that when they, nowadays people like make necklaces and rings out of them, they got to drop them in like a little thing of resin to make them like magnify so that you can actually tell what the heck the thing is. Infant, tiny. What's that tell me? We got too many people that haven't gotten poor before God. They look around at where they are, where they're at, they're at the master's house. They got a good church to come to. They got friends in the church. They got a great preacher. Great singing. They get to get involved in things around the church. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us to do. But you look around and you say, what makes them different from anybody else? Well, when the world looks at us, they say nothing. They get involved at their church. They go to church. They got friends at their church. They like the person that they listen to. In fact, they get to wear jeans. 
If they wanted to, they could show up in pajamas. They got coffee and donuts for them over there. You know why people wanted what the early church had? They didn't see much when they looked at the people. But you know what they saw? First word of verse number three. Blessed are they. Why? Because they were poor in spirit. Blessed doesn't mean it may, it's going to be dripping off of your fingers or off of your wrist. Doesn't mean that it's going to be the car that you drive. Blessed is what the world looks for. It's what they crave. It's what they're seeking for every day. But you know what they see when they look at us, somebody else that just lives in America that's got a good life? It's not about what you got. It's about what they don't have. The world has everything when it comes to the carnal things that you've got. They've got places to stay. They've got cars to drive. They've got friends. They think that they've got a good time when they go down to the bar or to a sporting event or everything else. They don't see anything different in your life. But I find that if you're poor in spirit, you're blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Instead of focusing on where you're at, where you live, what you're doing, how about you focus on, Lord, teach me some new things so that I can take what you've invested in me and go out there and that gain for it. I wonder if the Lord were to come back and he were to say, I'm going away, I wonder how many talents each of us would get. Wonder if we'd get any more than the two mites that the old widow woman threw into the treasury that day. What did he invest in you? Christ. A whole lot more valuable than any gold, silver, jewels. How much more important? Man can gain the whole world, but if he loses his own soul, doesn't matter a thing. Why doesn't the world look at the church and desire what we have? Because we've cut off God's ability to bless us the way that He's blessed others. How were they able to turn the world upside down? They were blessed. Are we not blessed, Brother Jordan? I'm just saying we're not as blessed as they are. Why? Because they got distressed by their want or their need. I find that they got such a good hold of God that when God said, hey, whatever you don't need, sell it, give it to the church. We'll take care of everybody's needs out of the church. I find that a lot of them didn't just sell what they didn't need. They sold all that they had. They so blessed, they was living off the grace of God literally every day. Some of y'all, if your 401k goes down half a percent, y'all have a heart attack. We're talking that people went to places they'd never heard of, not knowing how they was going to get there, not knowing what cruelties and what persecution they'd receive once they got there, not knowing how long it'd be before they came back or even if they'd come back. And they went singing and praising the entire way preaching that regardless of what the world did to them they were blessed because they had the kingdom of heaven they had the very king of glory living within them how'd they do that? they got poor and needy 
Remember, we find that there's a lot of people in the Bible had a whole lot of money. Joseph of Arimathea had it so well, he had a brand new tomb carved out that nobody had ever laid in before just for him. Find Nicodemus came with a hundred pound weight of spices and herbs to preserve the body of Christ with all the linen. Spices back in the day, there's a reason that the Silk Road was such a big deal. Because spices just didn't literally grow on every tree. You had to go find the tree on the other side of the world that grew that spice and then bring it back without it going bad. It was not a cheap thing. An inexpensive thing. We find people that had land. Job, richest man in the east. Then what happened? He was doubly rich afterwards. You know why Job made it through? Because long before Job lost it all physically, spiritually he was really poor and needy, dependent upon God. Yeah, the world's a mess. The world's always been a mess. Go back and study politically, socially, what was going on in Jesus' day. It was a mess. Go a hundred years forward or a hundred years back, guess what? It was a mess. The world has always been in turmoil. Why? Because it's cursed by sin. You know the only stability that you can have is when you get yourself poor and needy spiritually before God. And all you've got is faith in the solid rock. You can't be shaken. What's the modern day church missing? We're not needy. It's not talking about we're walking around with a handout. I know none of you can give me what I need only place I can get what I, what I need is prostrate before God begging him to give it to me I'm not poor because I don't have change in the wallet today I'm poor because everything that I need can't come from this physical world it has to come from heaven that spring of, that well of water springing up inside of you if I throw dirt into that well long enough, it's going to get it clogged. I need him to help me keep the flesh out of the well. Why? So that I can always get a drink. I need him to give me a meal from heaven that's going to satisfy my soul. Whether it's for 40 days like Elijah, 21 days like Daniel, or whether it's just until the end of the day, I need him to satisfy me. Too many people... But we've got the best church that we know of. True. And we're blessed for it. But I'm still needy. Well, I've got the King James Bible. Me too. But I'm still needy. I've read it a lot. Haven't read it enough. Why? Because I'm still needy. Well, I prayed this morning. Me too. Still needy. Still got to go back. Sometimes it's, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up again. Sometimes it's, Lord, I just need to hear from you. Sometimes it's, Lord, I'm blessed beyond measure. But, Lord, I know that one of your other children's struggling right now. What happened? Somebody else's one starts getting you a burden. Oh, business is about to pick up there. All in all, what's our problem? We're too blessed to stay needy and poor. If you adopt that mentality, 
You adopt that spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. I know one day you're going to get it because you're going to be there. But I'm talking about you can have it here. You know, the only difference between heaven and here is that you can have fellowship with God. You can be friends with God. You can follow God. The only difference is up there we're going to be able to do it in the body. But it's still the same thing. Amen. You can have it all here. But what do you got to do? Got to be poor in spirit. And you got to let your want really make an impact on your heart so that you desire to change that. Not while I'm close enough to God. Hogwash. If you was close enough to God, God would take you to heaven. If you was close enough to God, you'd be up here teaching today because you'd know what we need. If you was close enough to God, we wouldn't have to have preaching because we'd just be able to come in and worship. We'd be able to celebrate what God did this week, not hear what else we need to do. If we truly were close enough to God, the world would already be changed. How do we get there? Starts with being poor and needy. Did you know that you could receive a daily devotion every morning in your inbox? Head on over to ibcflorence.com and click on Daily Devotions to sign up today. And as always, thanks for listening.